AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Nick was not the best driver in the world. He wasn't going to be a champion racer, let alone someone who could safely navigate the streets of most American towns. And that's okay. Some people just aren't cut out for certain tasks, and Nick apparently was not wired very well for driving. That didn't stop him from trying, though. The first time he got behind the wheel, things actually looked promising for a while. He didn't drive too fast, he was cautious, and he was trustworthy enough to have a passenger with him. And yet... Well, that brick wall just sort of jumped out in front of him, didn't it? He didn't give up, though. Most people don't give up after their first accident. Sure, they're shaken up and probably a lot more observant and careful in the weeks and months that follow. But humans are very good at moving on, and that's just what Nick did. He got a new set of wheels, some new friends, and went for another joyride. This time, there was no brick wall to get in the way, thankfully. But he apparently took a turn just a bit too fast, and as a result, his car, which was really large and heavy, sort of rolled onto its side. I can't decide which accident was more elegant and graceful. Was it the head-on collision with a solid wall, or the overturning of his vehicle with nothing else to point at and blame except himself? Either way, the authorities took notice and found very little humor in the man's driving. Nick's car was impounded, and he was tossed in jail for reckless driving. And life changed for Nick after that. He would never drive again, and he would never get his car back. It's a sad ending to a story full of so many bumps and turns, or lack thereof, I suppose. Nick wasn't special because of what he did, or how he did it. He was special because he did all of those things long before any of us would have guessed it was possible. Long before Henry Ford, Rudolf Diesel and Carl Benz, before World War I, the French Revolution, and the birth of America. That's because Nicolas Cuneau wasn't just the first person to build a working automobile way back in 1769. He was also the first to do something else, something much less admirable. He was the first to crash one. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. King Edward VII, like many of the wealthy elite of England, loved to hunt. In the 1860s, when his mother, Queen Victoria, was still on the throne and Edward was nothing more special than the Prince of Wales, he would often gather his friends and take them fox hunting. Among this group of friends was another man named Edward, this one being an actor by profession. The pair of Edwards were apparently very close, and at some point in their relationship, the prince gifted the actor with a small golden matchbox, the sort that a gentleman would keep attached to his pocket watch chain for easy access and safekeeping. It even had Edward's name on it. The actor, not the prince. Years went by, as they have a way of doing, and both men continued to enjoy their hunts. Sometimes it was together, but oftentimes Edward the actor, Edward Southern, would hunt without his friends. And it was on one of those solo rides that he was thrown from his horse, and along with picking up a few bruises, something else happened. he lost the matchbox. He was heartbroken. It had been in his pocket for years, and he'd grown accustomed to its usefulness, so he had a replacement made and then moved on. Later in life, he passed that second matchbox on to one of his three sons, a young man named Lighton. Actually, Lighton was also an actor, just like his father, and eventually his own career took him overseas to Australia. While he was there, he made new friends in the world of theater, and one of his closest was a man by the name of Labartouche. When Lighton's time in Australia was up, he gifted his golden matchbox from his father to Labartouche and went home to England. Many years later, another of Edward's sons, named George, was on a hunt of his own. It had been a long time since he had hunted in his father's favorite area, so as he did, he took in the scenery with a bit of nostalgia. There's no record of how successful his hunt was that day, but he did happen to bump into the old farmer who worked the land there, and introduced himself as George Southern, Edward Southern's son. The farmer was astonished. Not only did he know the young man's father, but he had just been thinking about him that very morning. One of his farmhands had been out plowing in the field when a glimmer of something metal caught his eye. It turned out to be something Edward had dropped years before, his gold matchbox. George went home that day with the matchbox in his pocket, the original one, mind you, gifted to his father by the Prince of Wales, as well as a fantastic story. He wanted to tell someone. So later that day, George sat down and wrote a letter to his youngest brother, Edward, who was traveling with a theater production in America. This is the point in the story where I stop for a moment and tell you, yes, there were three Edwards, 
and that's pretty confusing, I know. Edward the Prince, Edward the Friend, and Edward the Son. Plus two other sons, right? It's complicated, but it's also worth it, trust me. Edward the Son received the letter from his brother George on the morning of a train ride, and waited until he was seated and the train was moving before he opened it. Across the seat from him was another actor, Lawrence by name, who had just joined up with the company that day, and they planned to get to know each other and prepare for their next stop. Edward, the son, read the letter, and as he did, his eyes opened wide. Lawrence noticed this and asked about it. My brother, he said, has found our father's long-lost matchbox, gifted to him by the Prince of Wales himself. And then he proceeded to tell Lawrence about how the matchbox was lost, how his father had a second one made, and how his brother Lighton had given that one away in Australia. I wonder, Edward muttered half to himself and half to Lawrence, whatever became of that second matchbox? Does La Bartouche still possess it, or has he in turn given it to someone else? Lawrence smiled at him from across the seat, and then reached into his pocket. When he pulled his hand back out, there in the middle of his palm sat a small golden matchbox. Turning it over, both men could clearly see the engraving on the back. Oh, he gave it to someone else, Lawrence answered. And that someone else was me. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.